Welcome to First Baptist Wiley. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or give online at fbw.church. Hey, faith family and friends, this is Pastor Chris, and we're in our fourth and final week in a message series entitled Prayer Changes Things. And I hope and pray that over these weeks that your prayers have become robust and effective and that God's been doing some great things in your life via prayer. You know, the reality is this, as we, we started this year and we've started these, this series, the whole catalyst behind it was in January, a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. They go and join gyms, and by the end of this month, they're already out of those memberships. And so the idea is this, that while, yeah, we could, we could have resolutions, what we should become is resolute in the way that we pray. And wouldn't it be incredible this year if our lives truly became the byproduct of the prayers uh, that we pray and that God established on the earth what he desires from the throne of heaven. In this final week, uh, I'm going to take the message series in an entirely different direction because a lot of times we think about our prayers with respect from us praying here on earth and we're praying you know, to God in heaven. But I want to challenge you, and as you have your Bible, you can go ahead and go to Luke chapter 16 with me, because I want, to, I want us to dive in and kind of explore this question. What's the one prayer that everybody prays in hell? Wow, that is a phenomenal thought when you think about it. You see, I believe you and I live in a time where hell has been mitigated, minimized, and relegated. I have one point to drive home with you today, and it's simply this. Hell is for real. Say it with me. Hell is for real. You understand that over the last uh, 40 years or so, that in America particularly, we have gone through the post-truth revolution. And what that means is this, is that there is an adopted principle in our culture, which is false, that says there's no such thing as objective truth that there's no real black and white, there's no true right or wrong, that truth is uh, what you define truth to be. If it's working for you, then it's truthful for you. And so in our culture today, this is one of the reasons we have political correctness. This is one of the reasons that we have um, relativism. This is one of the reasons why things that the Scripture clearly speaks to that are evil are now even celebrated. And it's because we live in this post-truth culture. And one of those truths that has been minimized and, 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 and really in many ways and some people even thrown out is the reality of hell. You do understand hell is for real. Jesus spoke about hell more than he spoke about heaven. Like Jesus was serious about hell. Jesus left the glories of heaven. Why? So that he could evacuate the population of hell. And in our culture today, what's fascinating is this. Do you realize about 61% of Americans believe that there is a place called hell? But equally staggering, about 2% of people really believe they will actually go there. Now, here's, here's another staggering statistic. About 34% of Americans actually believe that Jesus is the only way a person goes to heaven. And so what has happened over our day and our time and our culture is this. People just don't really believe in the existence of hell. Um, they believe that, you know what, if I'm, a, if I'm a good person, then I'm going to end up in this place called heaven. And the Bible is so clear about the reality of hell. And here's what I would want to just begin by helping me understand. 
Hell should never be what believers use to scare unbelievers into heaven. But if there's a hell, because hell is for real, say it with me, hell is for real, then what it ought to do for believers is motivate us to reach people who are right now on their way to this place called hell. And, and, and I, would, I would just ask you this question as we get started. If in the last day, a few days, first few weeks of January, if the people that you've prayed for by name uh, who are not believers, who are far away from God, who are not Christians, who are on their way to hell, if you had prayed for those people by name, how many people now, as a result of coming into the end of this month, would actually now have crossed over the line of faith and now know Jesus and now be going to this place called heaven? You see, here's what I believe. I believe that most of us, unfortunately, because we don't really believe the way we should in this place called hell, don't really pray and don't really embrace the lostness of parts of the culture God's called us to, whether it be the schoolhouse, whether it be the business corporate boardroom, whether it be your neighborhood, the PTA, wherever that is, a little league field, we don't embrace the lostness the way Jesus did because Jesus believed in a place called hell because hell is for real. You see, hell is for real. Uh, here's the first reality I want you to understand. Here's some realities about death. Um, the Bible says this in Hebrews 9.27, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Unless Jesus comes back to the planet and takes us to heaven first, you do understand, believers, that death is a certainty for every single one of us. You can eat right, you can lose weight, man, you can do all the things you're supposed to do, and it may help to increase the quality of your life. It will never increase the quantity of your life. And, and knowing that, I mean, death is certain. I mean, we ought to get comfortable with that because you don't understand as believers, like we are going to experience so much greater things there than we've ever experienced here. There are far better things ahead than anything we leave behind. And, and so, you know, I've always found it interesting if, if you're here in Dallas, um, uh, they're, they're on Central Expressway and about Richardson, there's this place uh, that's called the Casket Store. And you, it's open to the public. You can go in and you can pick out your casket, you know. And so if you're, maybe you're going to get cremated or whatever, but, you know, if you're going to get in a casket, it's, it's sometimes an economical way. And they have all different kinds of caskets you can point out. But in this particular shopping center, I've always found there's, it's interesting because you have the casket store and it's right next to a place called Boxes to Go, which to me really it's kind of the same thing, right? I mean, you got one, you got the other. But then next to that, next to Boxes to Go, there's also a deli called uh, Cindy's. It's a New York-style deli, which really makes you ask the question, hey, what, what's in the roast beef? Anyway, I digress. The point of the matter is this. You and I are going to experience death. And, and then, notice this, there's going to be a judgment. There will be a judgment. It says, we're all appointed to die once, and after that comes a judgment. There will be a reckoning. One of the reasons that people choose to be spiritual and they don't choose to trust Christ is because of this. They don't want to deal with the consequences of the way they live in this world. A post-truth culture has taken us to the place where not only do I define truth, but it means I can do whatever I want to do. 
And in and, and, and our culture, we're taught to throw off every kind of construct there is. So constructs of, of society, of class, of culture, but also of faith. Because it's the faith system that tells us the way we should live, what our morality should look like, and all these kinds of things. All of these truths should be thrown away. And here's the thing. If you want to live unto your own appetites, then it makes total sense that you would do that. Why? Because you don't want to believe that you'll be held responsible for anything. But the Bible says there's going to come a day of judgment. There's going to come a day of reckoning. There's going to come a day when all the rights uh, will be counted and all the wrongs will be dealt with. And so think about that. Death is certain. And there is a judgment, and hell is for real. So is heaven, but hell is for real. Say hell's for real. There's some realities about death, but here's what I also want you to notice. 30 seconds after you die, you're immediately going to experience a completely different reality than anything you've ever known. In fact, when you look in the scriptures, uh, one of the greatest examples of this is found there in Luke chapter 16, and it speaks of a rich man and a, and a poor beggar by the name of Lazarus. And here's what the scripture says in verse 19. And, there was a, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to talk a little bit. I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to talk a little bit. So the first thing I want you to notice is this. In verse 19, it says, And there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted scrumptiously every day. I mean, can you imagine when the Bible says, I love the detail, scrumptiously, like this man ate well, you know. Whatever your definition of eating well is, I mean, it, he ate well. For me, it's like cutting boards. It's like charcuterie. Man, it's like the best desserts, right? It's all those things. This guy ate this way every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his swords. Oh my goodness, how gross is that? I mean, think about this. Here's this man, lives big, dresses nice, eats well, lavish wealth, parties, life is good for him. He sounds like what everybody in America is striving to become. And it says that outside his gates, there was this poor man by the name of Lazarus. But here's the thing about Lazarus. Lazarus trusted Christ. He believed in Jesus. He had a relationship with Jesus. And so, by the way, it blows up the myth that, oh, if I know Jesus, then everything's going to work out great for me. No. See, the best is yet to come. It's not what we have right now. Your best life is not going to be now. The best is yet to come. But so here's Lazarus. He's there and it says he was covered with sores. I mean, he, th this man was poor and it says, and this is just amazed me, he would have loved to have eaten the scraps off this rich man's table. And what's even so more gross is that this man's skin condition that the dogs would come and lick him. Oh, and everybody said, Bleh, right? Here's the first thing I want you to see 30 seconds after you die. 30 seconds after you die, you need to understand something. Your decision in life determines your destination in death. 30 seconds after you die, you are going to end up someplace. There will be a defined place for you. And, and, and it's based on the decision that you made. It's kind of like this. There's certain restaurants in Dallas that are pretty hot people like to go to. And the way you know they're hot and people want to go to them is this. you got to have a reservation. I, I remember not too long ago, there's a place I walked up to. I thought, hey, this would be a really good place. We'll go have dinner there and with my family. And we walk up, and we can't get in. And the lady looks at me like, 
I can't believe you'd even think about coming in here. Do you not understand what kind of establishment this is? Because it was kind of bougie. And they were like, you know, I can't even, uh, the audacity that you would show up here without a reservation. And in the same way, don't you understand that in eternity, if you're going to go to heaven, you got to RSVP. You make that decision on this side of, life, of, of death, not on the other side. You see, there's a second thing I want you to know because hell is for real. Say it with me. Hell's for real. You'll be escorted into eternity. Your destination is going to determine where you're going to end up, and you're going to be escorted there. It says, And the poor man died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, uh, that, that's a reference to hell, being in torment, he lifted his eyes up, and he saw Abraham far off at Lazarus' side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and sent Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue from anguish in this flame. So you and I will be escorted. You know, back in the, in the 80s, um, there was Russian cosmonauts that, that gave this incredible testimony. They saw angels in space. Now, it was thought, and, and the Russian government kind of wanted to cover it up because they, they thought, well, you know, they had a hallucination. Well, it's one thing for one person to have a hallucination, hallucination. It's another thing for an entire crew of people to witness this. That's always given me great encouragement because the Bible speaks that whenever you and I die, if you're a believer, this ought to give you great comfort, that when you close your eyes in death, you are going to be escorted into glory by angels. But here's what's fascinating about this. It says about this rich man that he just was in hell. It's almost like... Believers are escorted into heaven, and it's literally like believers just drop into hell. And, and I say that to you because it says this about this man, that, that he cries out and he wants his, his, his physical needs quenched, and it says that he is in anguish. This is a horrible place, as we're going to see even greater still later in this passage. You see, hell is for real. Um your, your decision in life determines your destination of death. You'll be escorted into eternity. And notice this, you will or will not be with Jesus. Um, it's that simple. And it says, but Abraham said, child, remember in your lifetime, he's speaking of the rich man, you received your goods and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. And now he is comforted here and you are in anguish there. You know, the thing about it is this. Jesus came, what, so that you and I can have a relationship with him. That's the whole purpose that he came to the earth. It's, heaven was a great place. Believe me, he didn't need anything to do. He vacates heaven to come to the earth, what, to solve the greatest problem we've ever, man, mankind's ever incurred, sin. Sin is, it has always destroyed man. It will continue to destroy man. And one of the, one of the most powerful images of this that I've always loved is whenever Jesus is on the cross and he's hung between two thieves, that the one thief was an antagonist and he spoke harshly to Jesus, but the other, you know, recognized who Jesus was. He asked for forgiveness. And what does Jesus say? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, one of the great comforts I find in my own life is knowing this, is that um, you and I, if we're, gonna, if we're absent from the body, we're going to be present with the Lord. And, and we can, we're going to be with him in that moment. And, and there's something powerful and beautiful and, and, and hopeful in that. And yet this man, this, this rich man, he's apart from Jesus. He's apart from the other saints like Abraham. Because you see, don't you understand, that 
hell is for real. Notice with me this. Your destination will be fixed. You see, you're determined that your decision in life determines your destination in death. You'll be escorted in eternity. You will or will not be with Jesus, but this is it. Your, your eternity will be fixed. There's no changing. You'll either be in heaven or you'll be in hell. Verse 26, besides this, between us and you, Abraham explains to the rich man, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. You know, the M.R.D. Hahn, he was a great writer. He was taken to him. He was actually killed in a motorcycle wreck. He, he, he wrote this great quote. He said this, Once we've passed through the door of death, we cannot pick up our suitcase and move out because we don't like the accommodations. It is a fixed place. See, I think there's some real fallacies around this idea of hell. People think, well, you know, I'll just go to hell. It'll just be great. All my friends will be, it'll just be great. And, 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 and others think, well, you know, God is a loving God. How could a loving God send and allow people to go to a place called hell? Here's what I'd tell you. First off, God never sent anybody to hell. People have, go to hell because we were hell-bound from the beginning. We choose to rebel. We choose to sin. Some people say, well, I can't believe that, you know, it's just not, it's just not easier for people to make their way to heaven. I'm like, I, I, what I think is amazing is the fact that God has made a way for us to go back to heaven. And some people believe this. They believe in this thing called purgatory. And um, purgatory, particularly, comes out of Catholic theology. And I would tell you this, uh, that, that comes out not from the Scriptures, comes from the Apocrypha. Um, it is, it's not what, what the, we call the Bible. Um, and it's kind of this belief that you're going to go to this place and it's not really heaven, it's not really hell. It's kind of an interim state. And you got to live there, be there until such a time that you are able to make up for the sins you didn't know about or you didn't confess, and then you go to heaven. There's some that also would believe and teach that um, God, God, although you know He punishes sin, eventually He's going to annihilate evil. Meaning, maybe a person they die and they'll just be they'll cease to exist. The Bible didn't teach that. In fact, this rich man right here, he is very aware of what is happening, and he is aware he is in this fixed place, and he would love to be destroyed, but he's not being destroyed. Then there's others. I think this happens, and I'll just be candid with you. I think the older we get, I think if we're not careful, we become universalists because we meet a sincere person who's outside of the faith that we believe in in Jesus Christ, and so there's, they're devout in their Hinduism or they're devout in their Islam or their, whatever it is. And we go, you know, I just can't imagine a God would, would really... You know, this person's so nice. They do such good things. I just can't imagine how God would allow them to go to a place called hell. It just seems so unfair. And so, uh, we, we, if we're not careful, there's some who just believe, you know, really, all roads kind of lead to God. The Bible didn't teach that. Jesus was very clear. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to except through me. So all these other faith systems... It might, might be ethical. They might even be moral in some ways. There might even be really sincere adherence to those. It does not secure your place in heaven. 
And I believe that you and I today um, also are, are, are plagued with something else. We live here in America where the gospel has been preached per capita over the, our square feet more than any other place in human history. And it was J.C. Ryle who said this, the saddest road to hell is the one that runs right under the pulpit, past the Bible, and through the middle of warnings and invitations. Do you not recognize and realize that there are many people in the American church who are going to die and go to hell? Why? Because they have put their faith in their churchianity, their religiosity, and not in Jesus. You see, this is where really and truly the rubber meets the road, and this is what really gets me, is, it, is not only all these other things are true, but hell is for real. Say it with me. Hell is for real. And in hell, look at this. You will have full mental awareness. It's not like you're going to go to hell and you're going to be anesthetized. No, you're going to be completely aware of what's happened. In fact, the words of this rich man, he says, and I said, that, and he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him, meaning Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear. This is the prayer of every person in hell. Every person in hell understands they didn't make the right decision. They're now fixed in this place of eternal torment. They're completely isolated. And here's what they realize. They want their brothers. They want their sisters. They want their parents. They want their children. They want their grandchildren. They want their friends to hear the words of Jesus that they may be spared this torment. And I, and I think that's where you and I as believers, we've got to embrace it. We've got to see this. Because for some of us, we have also bought into this idea, well, maybe, maybe not. No, no, no. Hell is for real. And the, and the prayers of the people in hell is that you would please go to my brothers. What will this place called hell, this place of torment, really and truly be like? Here's what the Bible says about this place called hell. It says that first off, that desires are never satisfied. So this rich man's there in heaven, and he probably had a, 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 a desire for materialism and wealth and all this kind of stuff. Notice, those desires are never satisfied. Mark 9, 47 says this in 48, And if your eye calls you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. In verse 48, where their worm does not die. So notice this, the worm does not die. What does that, that phrase mean? It means this, that all those desires that you have, all those passions, so that for the addict, for the person who wants the, the next hit of heroin or the next drink, or they want to have the next sexual dalliance, or they want to, whatever it is they want to do, that desire never stops. So if you can imagine a person who's going through like withdrawals from some sort of substance, they're never going to stop that, that, that sensation, that feeling for eternity, for forever. And then it says this. It says, where the worm doesn't die, and look at this, and the fire is not quenched. Here's what it means. It means they are going to burn in a place called hell in a fire. You know, I, I've, I've seen some incredible fires. I've seen some incredible bonfires. I've seen some incredible structure fires. Uh, 
I enjoy a nice fire when it's in the fireplace. You know what I've never wanted to do? Jump in a fire. Because it it would hurt. I mean, I've, I've touched the stove enough to know it hurts. It is going to be pain. So you're going to have these desires that are never quenched. And then you're also going to be just going through this incredible physical bodily pain. And then it says this. Um, so the desires aren't satisfied. The fire never dies. But then notice this. Darkness never ends. Because it says this in Matthew 8, 11 and 12. And I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdoms of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom, talking about hell, will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's, so notice this. The first thing is, it's going to be thrown into utter darkness. Now, now think about this. You're in pain and there's a fire, but where we think fire illuminates somehow in eternity, it's completely black. It's completely dark. Like I'll just be candid with you. Um, I'm, I'm nearly 50 years old, and there is something uncomfortable about walking into a completely, totally pitch black room. I mean, it, there's just something scary about that. You can't feel your way. You bump into things. You're likely to get hurt. And so can you imagine for eternity, in pain, in, in physical pain, in emotional, you can't work out your desires and look at this, the darkness never stops. You're completely in the dark. And then, and then it says this, and it's sadness never ends. Because it says, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There'll be just this immense sorrow. That does not sound like the party. You know, Mark Twain once said, made some comment about how, you know, he didn't mind going to hell because it's full of the most interesting people. Yeah, these people that are now consumed by all this incredible sadness. And you know why I think they'll be sad? Because they're going to remember all the times they drove by a church and never went in. They're going to they're remember the times that a friend shared with them. They're going to remember it. But, but here's the thing. There are some people, listen to me, that they never hear the gospel. And they live on your street and they, they sit next to you in class. And they're in your office building and, 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 they, and they do life all the way around us and, they, and they, they know a little bit about kind of who God could be, but no one's ever explained it to them. And that's why believers have to realize that hell is real because here's the last thing as we go back into our passage. I want you to notice what it says about, and I think this is the worst part of hell. It says in this, inter, in this exchange between Abraham and this rich man, and he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So the last thing that I would tell you about the reality of hell that is, is so scary to me is that you're completely alone. So not only are these desires never satisfied, not only does the fire never die, not only does the darkness never end, never does the sadness ever cease, but you are completely alone. Like, like think about that for a moment. And, and the worst part is you know how you could have changed the destination. 
you know, it just would have required you just to, own, because everybody in, in eternity right now in heaven and hell all firmly believe in Jesus. Every single person. And this person who reject, who says, oh, uh, you know, if they would just go to my brothers and, 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 and Abraham says, no, nah, even if somebody raised from the dead. And that's why it's so tragic. There's some people who they're going to have a knowledge of Jesus and they're still going to end up in hell. And why will they end up in hell? Because they choose their own rebellion. They choose their own selfishness. They choose their own way. They choose their own truth. And ultimately, they believe a lie. And here's the thing, they're alone. Can, isn't it amazing to think that you'd be alone? I mean, we live in a world right now where we are so connected by one of these that, I mean, literally, most out, unless you're asleep, most of us are interrupted. And yet you're completely alone. And here's the thing I'd say to you. The one prayer that they pray in hell is go tell my brothers. And here's the question I have for you. Who are you going to tell? Because if you really believe in Jesus, then you have to believe what Jesus says. And what Jesus says is there is a place called hell. And it's real. And people are going to spend eternity there. And the question is this. What are you doing about it? What am I doing about it? Where are we owning lostness so that people can come to know Christ? You know, as we close, I got two things. One, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you may be listening to this and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior. And I want you to hear me. If you've listened to this and you understand what's at stake and you don't trust Christ right now, I'm telling you, like that rich man, you will sit there in that place for eternity and you will have to be reminded of this little twangy accent for an eternity who told you the truth about what's going to happen. You don't have to do that. Jesus came. We have to acknowledge and admit that we have sinned. We have to believe that he's God's one and only son. He died for our sins, came to the earth to eradicate that. He was buried, resurrected, proved he was God. And we have to confess him as our Lord and Savior. If you'd like to do that, you can bow your heads with me and you can just make my prayer your prayer. Say, dear Jesus, I just ask that you'll forgive me of my sins. And I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, then I want you to reach out to us. Send us an, an email at info at fbw.church. Somebody on our staff team will reach out to you. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. You may be listening to this. And the truth of the matter is this. You know the person you need to go to. And, and can I just say this? If we don't, shame on us. Because there ought to be somebody that they're lost, we own their lostness and we want to, in the words of the rich man, we got to go tell that brother. We got to go tell that person. Because somebody in hell, I promise you, is praying for that person that somebody would get to that person. And so I just want to pray for you as you and I take the gospel of the world. Lord Jesus, help us to be people, if we say we're believers, that believe you enough to believe there's a real place called hell. And it was a priority to you. And while we ought to never guilt people out of hell and into heaven, it ought to motivate our hearts to move toward people because it moved you out of the glories of heaven to earth to rescue us. Father, may we go and do likewise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.